0: Good morning, beloved children of God. How many people here, however many years ago it was, you would have been in high school or in college, were homecoming royalty? I don't need to see, I see mostly, oh, that was not me. But maybe there's a few of us in here, or how many of us wanted to be? Uh, if you've ever been to a homecoming game um, this is usually football, unless your school doesn't have football, then they'll do it some other time of year, some other sport, usually a man sport, a boy's sport. And then during halftime, they will trot out the homecoming royalty, uh, it's usually done by votes of students at a school, and it's usually the most popular kids in school. Uh, either popular for their looks, or their athletic prowess, or maybe they just are the person that everyone likes so they're the student body president and a whole host of other kinds of things. And they often, especially at high schools, people will get to drive out in some principal's old refurbished car or something like that. And the band will play a mostly good but a few bad notes song. And then in the back seat or walking out on stage, uh, sometimes even with a flowing red or purple cape and crowns on their head, Uh, homecoming royalty will be presented to the school. And everyone will cheer and clap, and a few people will be bitter on the side that it wasn't them. And we'll have our royal court. And we do that at the very small, little bitty schools have it, and huge schools have these ceremonies. And then a few times every year in the broader culture, uh, we will have red carpet events. The Oscars, the Grammys, the Emmys, if you're into sports, the Heisman or the Espies. And people will walk this velvet red carpet that's been laid down with their shoes that have never been sullied with the earth before and often designer clothes, gowns and suits and tuxedos. And the people that we think are beautiful and funny and charming or are superstars on the field or on the court will walk down, looking their dapper best, the lighting just perfect, the makeup artists making their year's salary for this night. And we will talk about their outfits for days afterward. And we will argue about who should have won what and why and who made us go, and who made us go, and all of those kinds of things. We have a culture of royalty, even in a society where we don't have royalty. We have those people who rise to represent us in some way, and we're a diverse enough nation that oftentimes these folks are segmented based on subculture, right? And so some folks will love this couple, and others will love that, and they will partake of this part of pop culture, and others that. But even within those divided kingdoms, there are people who rise to royal status. How many people here have watched the Netflix television show, The Crown? Has anybody watched this show? It's a fascinating television show. It is uh, scheduled to be six seasons long. They have had two seasons thus far. And it is a dramatic uh, representation of Queen Elizabeth's life. And they say each episode of that television show to... Represent this royal life costs between six and a half and thirteen million dollars per episode to get the jewels just right and the mansions just right and the travel just right to be as close to historically accurate as they can get for a television show. That's a lot of money. It's nothing compared to the real life royals. Uh, Meghan Markle and one of the royal family people, we only care about the American here because we're Americans, got married last year. Their royal wedding cost approximately 32 million pounds. I didn't do the math, but it's even more than that in millions. It's not just the Brits who we fought years ago so we wouldn't have to be under that crown who practice this. We presently have Uh, Across the political aisle, folks still debating uh, whether President Obama or President Trump's inaugurations were bigger, more festive events. We want the pomp and the circumstance. And it's not just at the highest levels of our lives that we buy into this. Uh, Several years ago, I was stuck in an airport in San Diego and an old friend happened to see me from across the way. He was visiting friends who also lived there. Uh, And this person was a veteran and was visiting folks he knew at the Navy base and was telling me a little bit about his experience uh, in the military. And he started telling me about a time when he was stationed in Saudi Arabia. And his task in Saudi Arabia, along with a whole bunch of other American soldiers, was to go to this stadium where the Saudi royal family was going to be watching a display of American weaponry. And missiles were going to be shot in the air, and guns were going to be fired, and tanks were going to be driven around so that they could see which of those weapons they would buy from the United States. And it was a pageant of death and fireworks. And this was what this person was deployed to do. This same royal family now caught up and concerns about the killing of journalists in their embassies overseas. Wherever we might look, our celebrities, our politics, our military, we see pomp and we see circumstance and we see demonstrations of strength. People want to make sure other people know who are the most brilliant, the most wealthy, and the most powerful. And it's in that context that I want us to read our text for today. For today is what a day Christians call Palm Sunday. It inaugurates the week that we often call Holy Week. The week that leads up to Easter. For many people, the highlight of the Christian calendar. The highlight of the Christian year. And so we're going to read the first 17 verses of the 21st chapter of Matthew to think about what it means to be Christians on Palm Sunday. The text is on the screen. If you want to look in your Bible, go to Matthew 21, starting in verse 1. And it reads like this. And when they had come to near Jerusalem, the disciples and Jesus, and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, like, why are you stealing these donkeys? Just say this, the Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. And this took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Matthew likes to tell us whenever prophecies are fulfilled. And so we see a lot of these kinds of quotes in this gospel. And the disciples went, and they did what Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat I'm trying to imagine Jesus sitting on a donkey and a colt of a donkey. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, their jackets, their garments. They took them off and spread them on the road. And others cut branches from the trees. The Gospel of John tells us these are palm tree branches. These are palm leaves. And they spread them on the road. And so there are these coats and there are these branches and there are these leaves creating something like a red carpet for Jesus, though it's not red, it's probably more of an earth tone. And the crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city... Was in turmoil asking, Who's this? Why does he get the red carpet treatment? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And then, after getting this treatment, Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It's written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he cured them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing things that he did, and heard the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David! And they became angry and said to him, Do you hear what they're saying? Do you hear what these kids are singing? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself. And he left them, went out of the city to Bethany, and spent the night there. The word of God For the people of God. Jesus never actually had a red carpet laid out for him. He never got to ride in on the back of like a 60s Chevy and put on the crown. But he had Palm Sunday, what we call Palm Sunday. Jesus had been going around to Israel performing miracles, preaching sermons, and gaining a lot of buzz in ancient Israel. And as he was out working in Galilee, eventually he turns his face to Jerusalem and starts a journey to that city. And on the way, he's healing the sick, he's calming the storms, he's raising the dead, and people are hearing These stories. And so as Jesus comes to the city. They lay out whatever the ancient Middle Eastern version of the red carpet is. They take off their coats. They cut down palm leaves. They make a path for Jesus to enter triumphantly. Going to win his Oscar or his Grammy or his Heisman. This is the moment. For Jesus, he causes so much buzz. People who don't know about him are turning around and asking themselves, "Who's this guy? Why is he so important? What's the big deal?" And people are saying, "Haven't you heard the stories? Hosanna! Hosanna!" And then Jesus shows up to walk on that brownish carpet. And he shows up on a donkey. He shows up not on a war stallion, not on any uh, kind of expression or symbol of power or of royalty or of wealth. He shows up on the the humble donkey, this animal that's used to plow fields and not much else because they're stubborn and aren't that smart. And this is the beginning... Of Jesus challenging the idea that they would ever want him to walk that red carpet. For whenever Caesar would arrive to one of the outposts of the empire that has been conquered by the Roman army, the people would be required to lay out palm leaves so that Caesar's horse could enter into the city without getting his feet dirty. They were symbols of victory. The people who had been defeated were to put out the symbols of victory for Caesar to enter. And then Caesar would come on his tall war stallion and make sure everyone knew who was in charge. And they would say, Caesar is Lord. And here comes Jesus. The people crowning him the new Caesar in some way. The best actor, if that's what you care about. The Heisman, if that's what you care about. The new president, the new royal, if that's what you care about. And Jesus doesn't come in on the stallion. He comes in on the donkey and proclaims victory by entering in on the palm leaves. This is the high point of Jesus' ministry for many people the people who have been confessing Jesus as Messiah throughout his life, as public ministry throughout his uh, journey to Jerusalem, those who, like Peter, confess that Jesus is the Messiah, for Jesus just to say, you don't even know what you've just confessed. And Jesus is going into the week that is going to reveal that these people don't know what they're confessing when they confess that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the lord for as soon as he gets the entry jesus gets the red carpet treatment matthew tells us he goes to the temple and he turns over tables and he tells the sick and the lame to come into the temple and he heals them he chases out the people using the temple to make money calls them robbers Judges their exploitation of the poor. Judges their exclusion of those who need the healing hand of God. And he sends them out and he invites these other people in. And in that moment, he tells them, you've crowned me the Messiah rightly. But you don't know what you mean when you do that. For my kingdom is not a kingdom like Caesar's kingdom. It is not even going to be a kingdom like David's kingdom. It's going to be a kingdom of donkeys and of the poor and of the sick and of the lame. I believe I've mentioned this to you before. Uh, but I, uh, years ago when I was in school and studying the New Testament, one of my professors told me this would be the equivalent of someone walking in and threatening um, The White House, the Congress, the U.S. Federal Bank Reserves, and the National Cathedral all at once. This was the center of all power at the time. We like to separate sometimes our economics and our politics and our religion. We live in a world where we've structured things that way. That's not the world Jesus lives in. It's always all three of those things. And Jesus comes in and he he disrupts the functioning of the temple along these lines. And this is the moment where the leaders of the day say, it's too much, we're going to get him killed. And by next Friday, he's dead. This is the thing that spurs the execution of Jesus. He has just been crowned homecoming king. He's just been anointed a royal by the people. The grassroots people have placed him on this throne. And he comes in and his first action is to say, this is not what you think it means. My kingdom is a different kind of kingdom. And I am going to be a different kind of king. And so the scribes and the religious leaders of the day, those who run that temple are not happy. And they start plotting against Jesus. And even the crowds have dispersed a bit. And they're not quite sure what it means to have this one who was just anointed do this ridiculous, radical thing. But there are some who remain and who continue to sing Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And Matthew tells us that it's children who are still confessing this after all of this ruckus has happened. It's children who are still singing the songs that greeted Jesus when he entered the temple. In the ancient Mediterranean world, uh, children had kind of iffy status. They weren't really citizens. They weren't quite farm animals, but they weren't that much higher than that. Uh, Life expectancy wasn't long. Most folks had six, eight, ten kids and hoped for about a two-thirds percent survival rate. Many people were working on farms or teaching their children trades with the goal that the family line would continue and the family business would continue. And children, at least up until they became marryable or able to work full-time on their own, were considered property legally. They weren't considered full citizens as adult men were. And it is those folks who have the vision the eyes to see and the ears to hear, to keep singing the song after the temple is overturned. They're the ones as the day gets long and Jesus gets more controversial who still have the vision to see and the voices to say that this one is the real son of David. This one is the Messiah promised to come. This one is the king who will rule again. Many of us in this room have been Christians for a long time. We kind of know how the story ends. We might already be looking to next Sunday, planning our menus, which outfits we're going to wear, who we're going to see, the order of the lunches we might go to. We might even be thinking a little more culturally what the eggs will be painted like this year, what candy will we fill them with. And so it's tempting to jump past Palm Sunday. But I encourage us to sit in it just a little bit. To be a Christian means to be people who confess Jesus as Lord to be the ones who would lay out the red carpet for the one we call the Christ. But I want us to sit in the image of the one we call king, the one we confess is the king of kings, is the prince of peace, is universal royalty. I want us to sit with that king on a donkey and not a horse, not a Mustang, not an Impala, not whatever your favorite car is, sitting in the hoopty. I want you to sit with the one who would, after finally getting recognition, getting the red carpet treatment, the one who would take that momentum, that good PR, and go to the temple and turn over the tables. I invite you to sit with the children who continue to confess that Jesus is the one who is the son of David after all the smart, learned, powerful people have stopped doing so. I invite you on this Palm Sunday to sit with them, confessing the one sitting on the donkey. And then I want to ask you to be honest with yourself. What do you expect to see when you look for Christ? When you look for the King? When you look for the Lord? Do you hope to see Him coming in on the white stallion, swords in hand? Do you want to see Jesus dressed Uh, as royalty dripping with jewels and gold and silver? Do you want the pomp and the circumstance for the one that you call Lord? Or do you expect to see someone who is sick or who is poor or who is homeless or who is in prison? Because just four chapters after this story, Jesus tells his disciples that it's what you do to those that you have done to me. For I am the sick and the poor and the imprisoned and the homeless. So what do you expect to see in your mind when you confess Jesus as King of Kings, Jesus as Lord? Do you see someone on a throne exercising power a lot more like Caesar Or do you see the one riding in on the donkey? And what do you mean when you confess Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Do you mean the one who will rule the world, who will win? And by win, we know what we mean by win. It looks more like Golden State running over the NBA than it does like a poor man riding in on a donkey? Does it look like the Yukon women's basketball team running roughshod for a decade over everyone else? Or does it mean the one who goes into tables and ter- or temples and turns over the tables? Do you mean the one who's on your side? Do we lay down palm leaves and confess Jesus as Lord and Messiah because we're pretty sure he's on our side? He's going to do what it takes to help us win. Or the one who goes into our most sacred space, the place we've invested years and money and labor to become this beautiful uh, representation of the glory of God, the one who comes into our holy of holies in our heart of hearts and starts turning over tables and letting us know all the ways we've missed the boat. What do we mean when we confess Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords? And so I want to ask one more question. And it is, can you continue to confess in light of the table turning, in light of the donkey riding, can you continue to confess that Jesus is Lord? Can you make sense of that picture of what it means to confess Jesus of Nazareth, born of Mary, as Lord? I want you to consider it seriously. Because a whole lot of people were happy to confess Him as He entered the city. Taking off their coats, laying down their palm leaves. And they dispersed and they were silent. And it was only a few children who were left continuing to sing, Hosanna to the Son of David. So if you can continue to confess that one as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, I'm going to invite you to sing with the children and sing with the Christians throughout the centuries, or at least confess. We're not going to sing because you don't want that from the pulpit on a microphone. If you can confess that one is Lord, say with the children, Hosanna to the Son of David. And if you can confess that one is Lord, confess with the children of Jerusalem, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And if you can confess that Jesus, as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Son of God, Savior of the world and of the universe, confess with children and with Christians throughout the centuries, Jesus is Lord. There are many people who are happy to lay out the palm leaves when they think Jesus being King of Kings and Lord of Lords looks more like the Oscars or a British royal wedding, or the pomp and circumstance of a military display. But I invite you on this Palm Sunday to confess those words with the image of the one who rides in on a donkey and turns over some tables and is abandoned by nearly everyone except a few children in the city. I want you to have that image in mind. And if that is the one you can confess, say it again, with Christians throughout the centuries, Jesus is Lord.